Hello and welcome to this episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel for Scotland's AI strategy. In honour of Mental Health Awareness Month, we're going to be looking today at whether artificial intelligence can be used to help with our mental health. I have with me two guests who work in the mental health field. I have Michael McTurnan, CEO of Voxio, and Richard Rutniger, the Director of Strategic and Business Development at the Scottish Association of Mental Health. So I'd like to welcome you both to the podcast. Hi, nice to meet you. So without further ado, Michael, maybe you can start by telling us a bit more about Voxio and the work that you do. Okay, so um, I think anybody who's tried to access mental health services will recognise that it's it's difficult to be referred to, to experts in the NHS. Um, and even if you do get referred, the waiting times are, are extraordinarily long, you know, for, for child and Adolescent mental health services, you know, um, it can a year could could easily be the length of, t- of time that you you might wait, and waiting times have gone up. You know, during COVID, they've increased by about forty percent. And what we've been doing is we've been working with the NHS to identify how to improve access to mental health using using AI. And one of the things that we identified was that giving people access to information and self help through short conversations creates better outcomes. Um, so what we've done is we've developed an AI platform called GBOK, and we're capturing that clinical expertise that you might get through a referral and making it available in short three-minute conversational chunks, personalized to an individual through through an app. Um, and it can be accessed over and over again. So you know, one of the things we found out was that young people in particular Wanted to you know wanted to deal with things in three minutes, um, and that might seem like a really short time, but actually, if you can capture someone for three minutes, you can probably get them for another three minutes and another three minutes. Just think about the last time you watched a YouTube video um, and didn't stop watching YouTube videos for for an hour or so because you kept finding another exciting thing to to look at. So that's 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 in a nutshell what we do: capture clinical expertise, make it available through short conversations. Um, I run uh, I run Voxio, and we're based at the Bay Centre in Edinburgh. But I also work one day a week um, in a GP surgery in Edinburgh as a as a counsellor. So I work not only do I work to help mental health, um, or have AI help with mental health, but I but I do it personally myself. Thank you very much, Michael. So um, Richard, um, over to you. Can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and a bit more? about what the Scottish Association for Mental Health it does. Sure thing, Will. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, delighted to participate in this session. Um, I am, as Will mentioned, uh, the Director of Strategic and Business Development at SAMH, as we're known for short. Um, we are Scotland's largest and certainly oldest mental health charity. We are almost 100 years old. 2023 will mark our centenary year which is both auspicious and significant. Um, As an organisation, I guess you could categorise what we do into four things. We provide care and support uh, in in communities. Uh, Last year, we supported over 9,000 people uh, through our community services. Um, We campaign and advocate for change uh, around legislation and inform government thinking with regard to positive outcomes for people. Uh, We are an an independent and informed voice in that regard. Uh, We fundraise. We are a charity, therefore, dependent upon 
donations uh, um, uh, to to do our work. And we also take direct action. So in key areas, some of which Michael alluded to around suicide awareness and prevention, children and young people, um, sport and physical activity, we actually instigate and run our own programs um, because we know they improve and sustain mental health in communities. Thank you very much, Richard. So um, to get into it a bit more, kind of back to back to Michael, um, what are some of the main areas where you feel that AI can help improve people's mental health? So, so probably the most important thing that, that we can do to help people with their mental health is make their mental health accessible to them. Because we've all got a mental health and it's one of the most amazing things about being alive because it's what allows us to be happy, but it's also what allows us to be sad. So understanding that we have one and being able to understand how it is at any given moment and you know what might affect it and whether you're going for exercise maybe makes us feel better or you know not seeing friends makes us feel worse that that that's really really important and most of us ignore it we're too busy um as we said in this conversation too busy not taking holidays too busy working hard too busy you know worrying about things to actually spend a little bit of time on on our mental health um and i think that in order to well so the evidence shows in order to change or improve our mental health, we really need three things. We need the opportunity, we need the ability, and we need the, the motivation. And I think I think AI is key in that because it, it allows us, you know, AI can allow us to understand a bit more about ourselves. We can use AI to help us understand that, you know, what's going on for us. It can It can be provided where we are, when we need it. We don't have to go to a hospital, it's accessible. And we can use some of the ticks and the tricks, if you like, of, of apps like um, Duolingo to help motivate people to, to, to work on, on, on their mental health. So allowing them to track how they feel, know how they are, get information that's personalized and based on, on how they feel and, and, and access support when they need it. Oh, it's interesting kind of creating apps kind of like like Duolingo and using the using the techniques that they use and there's um, AI involved in that. Uh, Richard, do you have anything to add to that in terms of kind of main areas where you feel AI can help improve mental health? Yeah, look, look I, I think uh, the first point was Michael's first point in that uh, people too often conflate mental health with poor mental health. And let's start from a position that's saying we have mental health as we have physical health and you need to nurture and look after it just as you do your physical health and and that's a bit of um uh, a mindset thing so let's not just put mental health into the bracket of poor mental health or mental illness and in that there's a huge opportunity for technology to help people maintain their mental health and promote their well-being but i guess i'm conscious that i'm a non-technocrat speaking probably to a largely technology savvy audience. So uh, in this case, maybe that's a good thing in that I'm trying to look at things from a very simplistic outcome based rather from a technology base. And, and the words access and self-direction have come up a couple of times in conversation. And that's where I think the opportunity lies. You know, the, the system, however you want to define the system, is not fit for purpose. And that's not a blame statement. That's just a fact. So we need to use technology as an enabler. 
and part of that will be technological evolution and development. And within that, I think artificial intelligence, whatever that means, and I know that can mean a lot of things, must have a role. But it will also have constraints and risks. But like any uh, technological change, um, there is probably more opportunity than there is risk. Thank you very much, Richard. So um, <clears throat> my next question was also directed at you and kind of um, to tell us a bit more about the digital technologies already used by SAMH and where do you think the gaps are for uh, technical solutions in particular when dealing with mental health? Um, it's a great question and posed at a great time because for us the gaps are significant. I think what we do recognise is that there is huge um, opportunity for us in this space. And, and that's that's largely because so much of our reach, recent history has been around personal intervention and community-based service. That's where we have established our, our, our trust and, and, and is, is a strength of the organisation. Um, so, so we see huge opportunities in developing psychotherapeutic tools. It is a central pillar of our current three-year strategy. And we've begun to do it over the last 18 months. Um, the best example is a service we actually built and delivered rapidly at the start of the pandemic for key workers, which is a triage-based service. And the first level of that service is uh, self-directed uh, tools, which are digital tools that anyone can access at any time. And it's only if that doesn't meet their needs does it then go to the next levels of intervention. Um, and what we learned from that is that as well as um, self-directed modules, um, th there must be a way of making this richer in some of the ways that Michael alluded to that he's doing through Voxio. So um, if, if you think of it as a, as, as, um, a, a, a gradation from one to 10, uh, where 10 is an exemplar and one is uh, a Luddite, we're probably uh, on, on three with um, sight of getting to five or six in the short term. Nice. Thank you very much for your for your answer, Richard, and your your honesty with where you are with in terms of digital technologies. Because obviously, Sam H is a huge a huge charity. But um, you know, this is a problem that charitable organisations and other organisations all across the um the country and the UK are um are struggling with, uh, basically finding technological solutions. Uh, do you have anything to add to that, Michael? In terms of so, in terms of opportunities in terms of where AI could, I think it's, <clears throat> what do I think? It really is about accessibility and engagement for me. That, that, that's the thing that, that makes a difference, is that mental health services just aren't accessible. And by the way, young people, young people want to talk about mental health, but they, all, they don't always want to talk to the people who are put in front of them about it, like their parents, like their teachers, and sometimes not even their friends. They want a safe place to be able to start exploring how they feel. And I think that that accessibility is not just about the, the availability of a service, but how much we are willing to, to you know, talk to. And one of, the, what's sort of one of the sort of side effects of AI is that it's not a person, which is, which is a drawback in some ways, but it's a plus in others. As in, young people are more willing to talk in text terms to an AI which isn't a person because they don't feel that they could be judged there. They don't feel that they're, you know, that they're giving away any of their secrets. And I think that 
that accessibility is really important. So making making things available in a way that people want them to be. And the second thing is engagement. So um, look look, computer CBT is you know massive um, uh, evidence base. Um, computerized CBT is is, is, is successful. Um, it's, it's enormously successful and uptake young, among young people and very low in, in, in completion because you know, you're asking people to do something repeatedly over eight to 12 weeks and, and you've probably lost them over one or, or two two weeks in, in, in terms of doing that. So what does AI or, or broadly speaking digital do? It allows us to use some of those, those tricks and techniques that successful apps like Duolingo use. Or, 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 or you know, even, you know, let's say it, like dare to say it, even apps like Instagram, you know, or, or Snapchat or similar that use, um, or TikTok, that, that use different ways of engaging. We might not like what's delivered through them, but they are certainly engaging in the way that they deliver services to young people. Yeah, so access accessibility and engagement seem to be the, the key things. I like what you said as well about creating a, a safe space for people to go to, because that can be a really difficult thing. So he's talking about some of the positives and some of the opportunities for um, artificial intelligence and technology in particular. Um, so I want to move on to what do you think are some of the pitfalls of using technological solutions to improve mental health? Um, so maybe we can start with Richard this time. Yeah, look, uh, I think I think there is a, a specific social point and then that there is a, a broader point with regard to healthcare in general. On the specific, let's not forget that we are talking about people who have access to digital channels and to the hardware and technology. And um, as we found out when we tried to um, push uh, education into the home at the start of the pandemic, it's quite often those of greatest need that have least access. So. We know there is a lot of data stating that um, people from poorer backgrounds and deprived backgrounds have a higher incidence of poor mental health. Those are also the ones that are less likely to have access to the technology to, UI, to use AI-enabled tools and assets. So digital exclusion is a factor that we need to consider. The second point really is the whole debate about how much of healthcare and support can you move on to digital technologies and are not from personal intervention? Um, because just as technology provides access and privacy, um, some people feel it to be impersonal and they don't get from it what they want. So, um, you know, it definitely has a role to play, but I think it needs to be in a sort of delivery mix. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, what do you what do you think about that, Michael, to add? So so, I mean, first off, I mean, Richard is, is, is spot on. I think that it is really easy for us to sit here in a digital echo chamber and, and think that everybody has access to, you know, a, a high quality smartphone and internet and, 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 and um, internet access. And, and they clearly don't. And, and, you know, people quite often, the hardest to reach people um, and the people in the most need don't have access like that. I, I think that's a you know, that's a real challenge for people like me who get enormously excited about AI and technology. That there's actually a there's a, there's a really important thing about accessibility there. The, the, the other pitfalls I see are well, one one is is around what is normal. So if what we do by using AI and, and digital is create this normal idea of mental health that this is how normal mental health should be, I think that's quite dangerous. That. The, the truth is that we're all very different, even between the three of us. 
there is no doubt we'll we'll have different attitudes to different situations. I will get more stressed about some things than the two of you will, and equally, I'll be completely relaxed about some things that would, would that might freak you out. So I think it's really important that we don't sort of you know, have this normal idea of mental health, but actually we embrace the the kind of rainbow. Um, rainbowness is that even a word the rainbowness of uh, of mental health all the elements of it and, and how different it is for all of us i mean there's the obvious one right which is unconstrained 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 natural language understanding by which i mean where a computer learns through lots and lots of conversations how to speak to you i mean clearly we just wouldn't use that kind of ai in this situation at the moment it's just not capable of of giving a very, you know, of, of a safe answer. You can, you know, there's lots of stories about, you know, self-trained AIs going completely out of control. So I think what what we would see is something that's quite constrained and on rails. There's a third bit, which I, I'm guessing we might come back to, which is about data. And we could probably have a whole podcast about that. But, you know, I, I might say just to start with, you know, the data that we use to, to, to train the AI and to develop the AI has to be representative and inclusive. We go right back to Richard's point about who do we include in, in this and who do we exclude in this? How, how, how much do people trust what we do with the data? So if we're going to use people's data to develop AI, we better be honest about what we're going to do about do with it and we better get their permission to do it and we better keep making sure that we've got their, their permission to do on it. So this, I mean, and and on and on and on, I could go about data and, and, and other other pitfalls. I think the one thing I would say, and to kind of bookend it, is we've got no choice. The health service is. I mean, we're already saying the mental health services aren't fit for purpose. It's going to get worse. <laughs> I mean, just any any projection on health shows that that running the healthcare service the way we're doing just isn't going to work. We have to get into prevention. We have to get into self-care. So in one sense, it's not as much can it work. It's almost how do we make it work because we're going to need to. That's an interesting take on it. I've never yeah, never heard it like that. Like we don't have a choice. It's it's true, isn't it? Um, yeah, we're going to, I heard you mention, um, trustworthy and inclusive. We're going to, we're going to come back to those for the, um, <laughs> um, you know, to route, to round up the session. But, um, I've heard, uh, the pandemic mentioned a few times in a, a couple of answers and I'm just wondering how, um, you know, post pandemic, how it's changed the dynamic and the use of AI and it has, it changed the way that people access mental health support. And so, um, over to you, Richard, have you seen this at all in, um, Sam H. Uh, well, I, th I definitely think that the pandemic has changed the way we access support. Um, we only have to look at that, you know, in, in the way that we're conducting our day to day business. Um, we also know that the pandemic uh, brought mental health front and centre. I think many people were conscious of it and were addressing it in various facets of life before 2019, but it absolutely became a, a massive social issue over the, the last two years. So I, I think it induced a shift in awareness and understanding. Um, in terms of how we use AI, I, I, I did a talk at a technology conference back in March, and I started by looking at some data just on transactions and on, on deal values. 
And um, you just have to look at both the volume of deals and the size of deals for companies professing to use technology for mental health and well-being to know that it's become big business. And where it becomes big business, you get an investment. And where you get investment, you're likely to get development and progress. So uh, I agree with Michael, both from an economic driver and from a, a social driver, we're going to have to embrace this. Um, so yeah, look, uh, from a Sam H perspective, our ethos is that we use the phrase, people should ask once and get help fast. Um, and that means providing access to information and support to people uh, at the time of need without need of referral or some sort of gatekeeping. And that all points to some form of technology that embraces AI to deliver that. Yeah, I like that, um, you know, deliver fast and when it's needed the most, because it can be vital in this, in these kind of situations. Um, and how about you, Michael, in this question on post-pandemic um, world? Do you think people are uh, going to be maybe more open to um, receiving um, help with their mental health um, via online methods? I, I think, I think, I mean, Rich is spot on. You know, the way we conduct our, our I mean, even this podcast, you know, we, we probably would have, in, in three years ago, we'd have, we'd have agreed to meet in an office and, uh, and sit together and, and you know have a cup of tea and, and, and do this. But here we are, you know, sitting on, on a Teams call doing this. Um and so so that that's definitely shifted. And I don't I don't see that shifting back. I know lots and lots and lots and probably you know the majority of counselling through the pandemic was taking place on on Zoom or, or, or on Teams or on or a similar platform. So there's definitely a shift even in even in face to face. Um when I phone up my GP now, I don't go and see my GP. I get a phone call at some point in a morning or afternoon that they tell me they're going to call. So all that, all that is changing, and, and and it's not going back. You just can't see see why why it would or or why you know. At, at the same time, I think that a couple of at, at public health or government level, the pandemic loosened some of the constraints on purchasing, and so I think that. You could say for better or worse, in some instances, purchasing of some mental health tools was able to happen at a speed that it just wouldn't have happened pre-pandemic. Um, so I'm thinking about in Scotland, you know, Sleepio and Daylight are now available to anybody in Scotland, free. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the you know, you've seen similar, if not the same things happen with Headspace, Calm, um, and a few of the other big players in wellbeing making their tools accessible to people who work in healthcare during, during the pandemic. So I think there's there's a, you know, there's awareness raising about mental health, which is you know, which has helped. There is the, the change in our attitude towards doing, doing things digitally. But I think there's also been quite a leap in the, in the purchasing or making available of mental health tools to, to various groups. Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, finally, to come to the, the last question of our, um, our, our podcast is, um, to look a bit at the Scotland's AI strategy and the three tenets of which are trustworthy, ethical, and inclusive. And obviously these are important things when talking about both AI and mental health. So I was wondering if uh, both of you could comment on those three um, tenants or choose one of them and you know why you think they're important for this area. Um, so we could start with Richard this time. Three big, three big pillars, I guess, and, and, and they apply to many aspects of life. Uh, 
my re reflection thinking of all those themes um first of all to go back to a point that michael made earlier you know i think the security of this stuff is important and um you know we know just how vulnerable um systems can be and as we begin to expand uh, technology and and accessing uh, mental health records or, or or having mental health discussions um, via technological means. I think there's a big piece here about the security of that environment, um, particularly when it's the production of these tools are largely unregulated as they are. Uh, in in terms of inclusivity, well, we've talked a little bit about digital exclusion and and who it will work for and who it won't work for. But I think that the point. The point for me is there's still a gap. There is a gap in the traditional way that we have tried to deliver mental health support and services and the understanding of exactly what AI means, because the vast majority of people from out with the industry, if they do have a recognition of AI, it will be a very different one. So, you know, we have been trained to deliver mental health services or community services through a particular means. And if we are going to start using technology tools, it's not just the functionality of the tools, but it is how we teach people and when we teach people to deploy them that I think is critical. And very often when we rush to a technology solution, we forget about the people that are actually going to be responsible for delivering it or managing it. So I think there's a gap in that 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 actually heads to to the trustworthiness, the ethics of it and the inclusivity of it. Thank you very much, Richard. And uh, over to you, Michael, for your thoughts on those three pillars of the strategy. I mean, I think that for, for so if I think about ethics, for me, one of the most important things is evidence. Um, um, evidence, you know, on evidence-based for why we're doing things the way that we're doing them, but also on evidence-based that what we are doing makes a difference. Um, there's very there's well, thousands, hundreds of thousands of well-being apps. But there's very little evidence that, you know, actual evidence that, that they make a difference, and I think that that's there's a maturity that is going to be needed in this in this environment where we expect, you know, if not some kind of medical device marketing, certainly some evidence that the things that we're deploying work and have an impact and actually change people's lives because that's really what we we should we should be about. I think there's something about as well there about the, making sure it's the appropriate support that people need. So someone in crisis, you know, the, I, I would argue strongly that we can help people with mild to moderate mental health issues and we can help them to have better outcomes. But someone who is in crisis isn't going to benefit from what we're doing. They're going to benefit from speaking to an actual person. And of course, that's about, you know, the ethics of that is about making sure that the people in most need get access to the, the, the small resources that, that we have. I think that I think there's so much in data um, that we should do another podcast about it. But you know, the, and I'm and I'm a member of the research advisory group for a project called DataMind, which is a big UK-wide project to make data avail available for research and development of mental health interventions. And there, what we're looking at is is that the the ways in which people might make their data available, who they would make it available to. And you know, almost you know, would you could you have a way where you could say, 
I'll let the NHS use my data under these circumstances, but I won't let these people use my data. So some kind of living way of having not just a one tick box which says you can use cookies on my web browser forever, but some way of having control over the data you let people access. Because most of us would do it to enable better outcomes for everybody, but we're all a little bit worried about what happens to that data, I think. And in terms of inclusivity, I think there's I think there really is an issue that we don't we're almost blind to, which is, you know, as tech as technical people, we get so excited we forget about the people who are, if you like, technically or digitally excluded in society. And 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 maybe the short answer is the sort of mild to moderate interventions that we're talking about here may not apply to some of these people. That might that might be a cop out by me. Um but certainly we need to be aware of them and certainly we need to be working much harder to, to make our services av available. But the other side of exclusivity is this, is that I, I know someone um, who, whose daughter was, was struggling and, and they, they tried to get them a referral, couldn't get them a referral. It was only when they were in real crisis, when they were, you know, <laughs> I mean, life-threatening crisis, that they finally got a referral. I mean, I do not think we should be in a world where people have to be in a, in a mental health crisis where their life is in danger for them to get a mental health referral. I think we have to provide services before that. And for me, the only way, maybe not the only way, but one of the key ways we can support that and make that better, make that service more available is by using AI and by giving people access to, <laughs> but access to information activities early in their journey to give them better outcomes in the longer term. Thank you, Michael. A, a powerful message to finish up on, um, you know, improving how AI can, you know, not not waiting until the end, basically, to get to get help. Um, Richard, do you have any um, final remarks before before we finish up? Um, I think that was a really great synopsis. I think we have given the underlying wicked problem, as they say, a really good run at it and explored the opportunities and the risks well. The one thing I would say as 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 we progress on this, in, in many cases, and Michael alluded to this, is you know we should use people with lived experience to inform what we do. We shouldn't design these things in a bubble. And many of existing services benefit hugely by engaging with people with lived experience because if we do that we'll be designing things from a point of need rather than just from technological aptitude yeah i would i would absolutely echo that the you know the, the lived experience is so important both in, in terms of the support you can give to other people in similar situations and for us it's absolutely critical to develop our products alongside the people who are going to use them. So we, we, we have and we continue to regularly work with young people, asking them what they want, understanding what their needs are, understanding, you know, and then saying, hey, how does this work for you? And then listening to the feedback, which can be, that's rubbish or that's amazing, but accepting it and actually doing something about it, because that's, that's how you create great products. And that's how you create products that people will use. Brilliant. Well, yeah, as I said, thank you very much. We've got a, um, that's going to be about all we have time for, but I just want to thank you both um, so much. It was a really interesting discussion. And I think we have a, a topic for a future um, podcast on uh, data and uh, AI and uh, mental health and kind of the ethical implications of data. So I'll have to speak to the team at the data lab and see if we can get that one organized as well. But 
thank you for having both of you. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks. As well. Good, good discussion. Thanks a lot.